Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 24 of Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 17 through 19. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. I'll stop reading there. Now, at this time, the Lord is addressing Adam for his part in the fall of Adam and Eve into sin. And God is addressing Adam concerning his disobedience, his rebellion against God. We, we know that, uh, historically, Adam was just a man, and uh, he he was a creature created in the image of God to serve and to be obedient, to obey God. And, and so Adam the man had tremendous responsibility to obey, and he failed to do so. He transgressed the law of God, and God explains to us how it happened. It was by his hearkening unto the voice of his wife. So Eve listened to the voice of the serpent, and she did eat. And then Adam listened to the voice of his wife, and he did eat. And and none are justified, none are righteous in this situation, but all have sinned. Adam and Eve and all mankind that has come forth ever since down through time. We were all in the loins of Adam. We are all guilty. We have all transgressed ourselves and there is not one clean that has come from the unclean that were our parents. And yet Adam was our figurehead. He was our uh, representative, the representative of the human race. And when he fell, we fell into sin. And we're aware of that. We know that this is the case, that Adam was just the man. But we also know that God has set Adam up as a figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's that verse in Romans that we've referred to several times, but uh, it's good to keep this in mind. In Romans 5, verse 14, it says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam 
to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. And the Lord also makes a tie-in between Adam and Christ in 1 Corinthians 15 in a couple of places. Um, One place is verse 45, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. The last, Adam, is Jesus. And, And so Adam was a figure of him which is to come. Now, when God is pronouncing the curse upon the man Adam, it's difficult for us to see how he can represent the Lord Jesus Christ until we we remember that Jesus did become a curse for us. As it says in Galatians chapter 3 in Verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And we saw, when we were looking earlier in Genesis 3, when the Lord said to Adam, he asked him, Did you eat of the tree that he commanded that he should not eat? And then it said in verse 12, of Genesis 3, and the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And we saw that that really is laying out a spiritual picture of the woman being a representation of the body of believers, or all of God's elect, that through God's predetermined salvation program, the the woman or the, the elect gave Christ our sin, just as Eve gave Adam the fruit, and he did eat. Well, Jesus took our sins upon himself and became sin for us and was cursed as a result, and that's what we're reading now Beginning in verse 17, God is speaking to the man, Adam, and he is pronouncing the curse. It says at the end of verse 17, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles and so forth it will bring forth to thee. And so here, Adam in the figure, not in reality. Adam is guilty in his own right. Uh, He did sin. But again, spiritually, it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ being made a curse for us on the behalf of all those that he paid for their sins from the foundation of the world and who he obligated himself to save and did save as time unfolded throughout the history of the world. Well, now, here it speaks of the ground being cursed. We read something similar in Genesis chapter 5 and in verse 29. There it says, And he called his name Noah, saying, This 
same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which Jehovah hath cursed. And the ground God cursed in the days of Adam remained cursed throughout the history of the world. Actually, the word ground, the Hebrew word, is Strong's number 127, and it's often translated as earth. God cursed the earth. As it says here, cursed is the ground for thy sake or because of man's sin. Cursed is the earth because of man's sin. And so in the days of Noah, some 6,000 years after creation, after the fall of man into sin, the ground is still cursed. And in verse 18, the Lord tells us that thorns and thistles are an indicator of a ground that has been cursed. As it says in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 7, For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them, by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. And there the Lord relates herbs with blessing, and thorns and briars with cursing. And it's the same thing in Genesis 3. Verse 18, thorns also in thistles shall it bring forth to thee, that's this cursed ground, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. So we have both together. We we have the ground that produces thorns and thistles, or this is because of the curse, a result of the curse, and it also produces herbs which Hebrews chapter 6, verse 7, related to blessing. Now, the reason for this is because God's whole salvation program is pictured in the Bible as the sowing of seed and the bringing forth of crops in harvest. We know, for example, that the church age was really the bringing in of the first fruits, that everyone saved over 1,955 years of the church age were likened to fruits, first fruits in the harvest season. And we also know that during the Great Tribulation, the second part of that Great Tribulation, God sent forth the latter rain and brought in the final harvest, the the great multitude. And so there's much language in the Bible regarding um, water that falls on the ground. And, and before that, seed has been sown on the ground, as we read in the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, and beginning in verse 2. It says, And he taught them many things by parables, And said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, 
behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up, and some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and thorns grew up, and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Now that's helpful to us, because God, in pronouncing the curse, spoke of the ground bringing forth thorns and thistles. And and that means if there's thorns, there'll be no fruit uh, to some degree. Well, then it goes on to say in verse 8 of Mark 4, And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty and some sixty and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, in the explanation of this parable, Jesus said in verse 14, The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And and I'm going to stop there because that's really what I wanted to get at that God gives the example of sowing seed, and he refers to ground, different types of ground. Some has rocks, some has thorns, some is good ground, but and the seed is the word. But then he relates the ground, that which receives the seed, to the heart of man. And and again, that in turn ties into with God's salvation program as he speaks of harvest. Good fruit to God are those that have become saved. They've been made righteous. They have had their sins forgiven by the blood of Christ. And bad fruit are those that are not saved, like the good figs and the evil figs. They're They're still in their sin. They are like thorns and thistles. They're rejected, nigh unto cursing. And so, what we really have here, spiritually, as God is speaking to the man Adam, and he is telling Adam, the ground will be cursed for thy sake, And then he says, In sorrow shalt thou eat it all the days of thy life. Remember, that's something similar that was said to Eve concerning conception and and childbirth back in verse 16. It says there unto the woman, He said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And basically, God is saying to Adam, in sorrow you will bring forth fruit. That, that's what it is. When you eat of it, you, you can't eat the bad fruit. You can't eat thorns and thistles. You can only eat good fruit. And so in sorrow you'll bring forth fruit. It's saying the same thing spiritually 
that was said to Eve concerning, in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And we spent some time looking at what that meant, that in God's salvation program, there is affliction and tribulation and great tribulation. When God opens up a door of utterance, uh, there are many adversaries, and, and there was constant spiritual struggle and battle with the kingdom of Satan. And the Lord said that we, we sow in tears and, and other statements of a similar kind that point out that the bringing of the gospel was a sorrowful thing. As it says in John 16, a woman with child and, and in travail is experiencing sorrow until the man is born into the world. Well, we, we don't have to go back over all that, but the point is that through sorrow, God would save his people. And it's the same identical spiritual principle that he's getting at in these verses as he is speaking to Adam, and Adam is the husbandman. There's no one else. He's the one that sows the seed. He's the one that that dresses the Garden of Eden at that time, but he's the one that will care for the crops and and do everything necessary to bring forth fruit. He is a picture of the second Adam, the Lord Jesus, and it is the second Adam's gospel plan to save sinners in various times and seasons by sending periods of rain. This will occur and and happen over the course of time uh, throughout the history of the world. And there will be rain and there will be um, the fruit that results and comes forth and and famines and so forth, but it's all related to sowing the seed of God's word upon the hearts of men and the fruit or the lack of fruit that comes forth. The thorns and thistles indicate the curse, and the herb of the field indicates the the blessing of fruit. Now, it's possible in the first instance that the herb of the field is a reference to um, Jesus himself. And uh, as we know, he is the seed singular. And then the seed of Abraham uh, promised as the, uh, in multitude as the stars of the heaven are found in Christ. Well, it's also possible here that the herb of the field, uh, and the field would be the world, it is the Lord Jesus, and and through him there is blessing. But it goes on to say in verse 19 of chapter 3 in Genesis, In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. In the sweat of thy face, sweat, is Strong's number 2188 in the Hebrew. It's a word that's only used here in this verse. Now, the word sweat, the English word, is used one other time 
in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel in relationship to priests and their um, ministry, their duties of ministering in the temple. Um, but that's a different Hebrew word. And the word sweat is used one time in the New Testament. And I, I think you're familiar with this verse in Luke 22. Luke chapter 22, beginning in um, verse 41. And this is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and beginning to suffer the wrath of God, as it says, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. To the ground. Here we have sweat and ground. The word ground, just as we have back in our verse. In Genesis 3.19, In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground. And and you'll eat bread that comes forth out of the ground uh, because that's where it comes from. It comes from the ground. Is there a connection possibly between the the sweat as great drops of blood falling down to the ground when Jesus was suffering the wrath of God, as he demonstrated the things he had uh, finished from the foundation of the world? And the answer is yes, because the blood, the, the sweat, which was falling as drops of blood, it doesn't mean it was actually blood, but God is tying it to blood. And it, the blood is related to one's life. The life is in the blood. And so as he was suffering, he was dying. He was giving his life a second time in order to make manifest again that he had already been the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so his life's blood was, as it were, falling into the ground. And that's significant. Why? into the ground, because it's out of the ground that fruit comes forth. It It's out of the ground that um, the blessing of the first fruits will be found, and, and all the, the harvest of um, the time of the end, the, the feast of ingathering, comes out of the ground. That God's whole gospel program focuses on the harvest, the, the produce that is coming forth from the ground and the blood of Christ. It's, it's his, uh, life that he gave for the sake of these individuals as he paid for their sins that allows them to be this good fruit. It also says in John chapter 12 in verses 23 and 24, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Again, Jesus is uh, this corn of wheat that falls into the ground and dies. And because of his death, there will come forth fruit. That's the same picture as the, the great drops of blood or sweat falling as blood into the ground. And, and that's, um, the idea back in our verse in Genesis. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Now this is again referring to Adam, who's a figure of him who is the come. It's the sweat of Adam's face. But, the word face is not a good translation for this particular Hebrew word. The more accurate translation would be in the sweat of thy nostrils. It's a word that's translated as nostrils several times. Um, for instance, in Exodus 15 and in verse 8, It says, and with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as a heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. With a blast of God's nostrils. It it actually is a word that relates to anger and wrath. The, The wrath of God is often associated with this word because when uh, when uh, someone is angry, their nostrils um, flare out. And and it, it's an indicator of anger. This word is translated as wrath in Exodus 32, verses 10 and 11. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them. And I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought Jehovah his God, and said, Jehovah, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? Uh, Wrath is the same word translated as face. This is the same word to to just show you how, how incorrect the King James translators were in translating this word as face. This is the same word that's in Deuteronomy 32. In verse 22, and here it's translated as mine anger. In, in Deuteronomy 32:22, For a fire is kindled in mine anger, and shall burn unto the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. The word anger. It, this word has everything to do with the anger and wrath of God. And and that's why the word sweat does indeed relate to Christ's sweat, because Jesus was under the wrath of God. He was experiencing the wrath of God in the garden. And so, in the sweat of thy anger or wrath is, is how this verse should have been translated. Of course, that doesn't make sense on a natural level in the first instance. 
as the translators are trying to translate these things, said to the man Adam, in, in the sweat of his wrath, he'll eat bread? Well, how does that fit in, in the natural scheme of things? And, and so they translate it as face. Well, yeah, when you work hard in the field, you, you sweat and it pours down your face. But it's an incorrect translation. It should be in the sweat of your wrath. And Jesus experienced the wrath of God, but Jesus also is God pouring out the wrath. Remember, he is the lamb that's slain, and he's also the high priest that slays the lamb. And so it is in the sweat of his wrath. But we'll have to uh, finish this in our next study. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.